Hi, I'm Carolina. And I'm Amanda. And we are both owners of Booty Yoga in La Jolla. We're both in person and online. We also have a workout called Flow Lift. And today we have a very special guest. Her name is Dr. Valley Gafori. Um, she is going to talk to us a little bit today about perimenopause and menopause. Um, we are in our 40s. A lot of our students and friends are in their 40s and 50s. And we're all just starting to experience different things relating to menopause. Um, and we wanted to get some answers before we all are really experiencing it. And we love Vale. She comes to Flowlift, so we're friends with her, and she's also our doctor. And she is going to answer all our questions today. We're here today with Dr. Gafori. Um, she is our friend. We know her from seeing her around town in La Jolla and at Flowlift here at Booty. Um, but also she is both of our doctors. She's our gynecologist. Um, and when we wanted to maybe talk to someone about this topic of perimenopause and menopause, she was the first one to pop into our mind. So welcome, Vale. Welcome, Dr. Gafori. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here and answer any of your questions today. Awesome. Thank you. And we just kind of wanted to start, like, tell us about your background, what type of medicine you do, and tell us a little bit about, like, your practice. Um, I'm an obstetrician gynecologist, which means that I take care of women through pregnancy, reproductive age, and all the way through menopause. So I see adolescent patients as well as patients during their reproductive age and all the way through menopause and perimenopause. I work in a private practice in La Jolla called IGO Medical Group, and we do all of our surgeries and deliveries at Scripps Memorial. So, And yeah. how long have you been a doctor? Oof, let's see. Um, I've been in this practice for about 19 years which is crazy. And um, I practiced in uh, Washington, D.C. for a couple of years before I moved here and then four years of residency. So over 20 years. That's amazing. Yeah. You know your stuff. <laughs> you know your stuff. You'll have all the answers for us. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the first question we had was just to give us some basic information on what perimenopause is and menopause. Okay. Um, I mean, I think we know what it is, but yeah. So funny that this topic came up, though, because I was just talking to a girlfriend who was telling me, like, I think I'm having all these, you know, perimenopause symptoms and nobody talks about it. Yeah, it's, oh. it's funny because in residency programs all across the country, menopause is the last part of your training. You do the, the least amount of it. And so most you don't really learn much in medical school. You don't talk about it in residency that much. Even an OBGYN resident gets very, very little clinical um, uh, care and um, menopause um, treatment. And so once you're out into the real world and you start seeing patients, you start to really learn about it and do a little research on it, et cetera. And um, 2002 was a really bad year for OBGYNs because that was the year that the WHI study came out and kind of changed everybody's outlook on menopause treatments that we had already, you know, developed and were proud of and happy with. Um, so menopause is an entire year without menstrual cycles. So 
That being said, it means it doesn't mean like a 12 year old is having menopause if they don't have menstrual cycles. There are other reasons that people cannot have menstrual cycles, but the average age is 51 years old. Um, and there's natural menopause, which is when your body actually stops, you deplete all of the follicles in your ovaries that make estrogen. And so then you go into this natural menopause. But people can go into surgical menopause at a younger age um, if their ovaries are removed because of cancer or some other uh, you know, problem that they may have, large ovarian cysts, torsions, things like that. Um, and then there's a menopause that comes from taking medications like chemotherapeutic agents that are used to treat cancers can sometimes people put, put people in menopause. So um, there's three different ways you can really go into menopause. I think we're here mostly talking about natural menopause. And so treatment options for natural menopause are a little bit different than for people who are on chemotherapy for other medications. I didn't know that. The time before menopause is called perimenopause, and that can be many years. And you can have lots of great symptoms through menopause, but you definitely can get them in perimenopause as well. And I think a lot of people and maybe primary care doctors out there don't realize that people can have symptoms even though they're having their periods. So... And how young can you start experiencing perimenopause? Well, I mean, the average age for men perimenopause is probably around 47 or so, but people in their 40s definitely can start having symptoms. Anything before 40 would be considered premature ovarian failure. So that's a totally different situation. Yeah. So, but people in their mid forties are going to start to feel a difference. You feel a difference in your metabolic rate. You feel a difference in your focus and you get a little bit of a brain fog. You, you know, you start, you might have some irregularity in your periods. Your periods actually start to get closer in the beginning parts of perimenopause. So a lot of women will say, I used to have these perfect 28 day cycles and now they're 24 and 23 days. And that's a normal finding as well. And then as you get into later stages of perimenopause, you start to skip your periods and start your period, the cycle length becomes much longer. You can go 38 days, 45 days, three months between periods. Wow. So and that's when you're really seeing a decrease in your estrogen levels. And that's most of the time when most people are starting to have their symptoms. I just had a 19 day cycle and I was like, what is that? Yeah. And yeah, then it went back to normal. Right. And sometimes that is your stress. You, you have other things going on. Um, if it's something that continues to happen, it would be something you'd like to tell your gynecologist. But yeah. <laughs> it did go back to normal. It just yeah. happened one time. <laughs> Free consultation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like, so it's interesting that you talk about those symptoms. Mm -hmm. So like with perimenopause, it's not just symptoms with your period. Like it, like you said, it can be brain fog. It can be metabolic. Yeah. Like you just feel like you can't stay as thin with what you were right. doing before. Yeah. Yeah. So people always ask, what are the symptoms of menopause? And I always say, what are the symptoms that are not menopause? Because you literally can have so many different things that you think might be normal that might have suddenly come out of the blue for you and they could be related to menopause so because of that low estrogen state you can get vaginal dryness pain with intercourse you can also have a decrease in libido as effect of that you get hot flashes which are probably the most common symptom that people have 80 percent of people will have hot flashes during menopause or perimenopause and that's the symptom that we mostly try to treat because that's the one that really affects people in the worst way because they have hot flashes that lead to night sweats at night so they don't sleep. It affects their you know, daily schedule. They can't exercise because they feel so heat intolerant. 
they can't work, they are sweat through their clothes sometimes. So that's the symptom that usually initiates a person coming into the office and saying, hey, something's not right with me. Right. But like, what about brain? have joint aches and restless leg syndrome and all types of sleep disturbances, insomnia. So there's even a higher rate of sleep apnea in menopausal women. So there's all different things that can come, maybe not as a direct result of estrogen deficiency, but estrogen deficiency aggravates it. So if you already have this kind of, you know, you're going towards this restless leg syndrome and then you hit perimenopause and menopause, it might aggravate it. And so you were asking about what brain fog, Amanda? Well, no, like, so in all those things, I mean, you kind of answered it. It's all due to estrogen deficiency. Like yeah, it's just or an that. aggravation from the lack of. Yeah, exactly. But the interesting thing is, you know, a lot of women say they have brain fog and they feel like they can't remember things and they can't focus. But when they look at a study and they, they actually looked at premenopausal women compared to men, we still could focus way better than they could. We still had better memory than they did. So I thought that was pretty interesting. It explains what their problem is. <laughs> right. So we'll never figure that out. Yeah. But as we get older and we go into menopause, that lower estrogen state definitely creates this sort of, I can't focus. I forget. Where did I put my keys? I don't remember where I parked my car, things like that. So those are very common symptoms that people come in and complain about as well. Hmm. And I think you, I mean, you might've mentioned it like anxiety and depression. Cause Absolutely. that's something, you know, Absolutely. I just recently experienced like when we were texting the other day about setting this up, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, like right before my period, I got so depressed. I don't think I've ever been this mm -hmm. depressed in my mm -hmm. entire life. Like right. just went to like a really dark place and I could not like get myself out. And I'm like, why am I feeling like this? So then I thought maybe it's got to be like some sort of menopause thing or I don't know. So depression, some, definitely women in their first two years of menopause have a higher rate of depression. Um, if you've already, if you have at all had any type of anxiety disorder or any type of history of depression, that can be definitely aggravated with changes. But you've heard of PMS also. So some women will get mood swings and changes in the in the um, latter part of their menstrual cycles, you know, even when they're 25 and 30. And it's because of hormonal changes that happen. So absolutely, you can get more anxiety, more depression um, symptoms during menopause. And the treatment can be estrogen in some women that can help. But um, we also use SSRIs or antidepressants to help with that as well. So they work really well in conjugation together. So if you have somebody who has a long-standing depression that's now aggravated in um, menopause, sometimes adding an estrogen for them is all that you need to do. Yeah, like I, when you brought up the Women's Health Initiative back, because well, that was when my mom was going through menopause. And so she was terrified of taking any hormone replacement therapy. And so, she, I mean, she, but she did have really bad hot flashes. Right, right. Um, and she also had some anxiety, you know, just she had all those things, but she was so scared mm -hmm. to take HRT. So this this has changed, correct? Like we have- oh, I'll HRT explain why that happened. Um, so it's really interesting. 80% of the people that were on hormone replacement therapy stopped taking hormone replacement therapy that year after that study came out. 
Right. And it was a very badly analyzed study that looked at hormone use um, in women all the way through like nine, age 90, which none of us have patients on hormones in their 90s and 80s and 70s. Right. And so they looked at the risk in all of these women instead of actually stratifying it by age. Um, if they had looked at it as, as an age-controlled study, then it would have been a totally different outcome. But the problem is the media jumped on it and they just sent all this terrible information out there without actually asking the questions that they should have. There's no study that can prove anything, but you have to actually statistically analyze it correctly to get actual real data that you can use clinically and that actually tells you something true. So when you look at 80-year-olds that take hormone replacement therapy, of course their risk of blood clot and breast cancer and you know pulmonary embolism and stroke goes up because they already have that high level. And then you add on something that can increase the risk, it's going to skyrocket. So when they went back years and years later and they stratified it by risk, they found that it actually is very helpful for women in their 40s and 50s. Um, they say up to 60. Many of us keep hormones on board until 65 for patients as long as they don't have you know, really bad risk factors. And not everyone should be taking hormones. I don't want to make people think right. every single person out there needs to be on hormones. There are some people that it's a contraindication for. Um, if you have breast cancer, you're not going to take any estrogen because a lot of est um, breast cancer is estrogen related or aggravated. Um, you know, if you've had a history of blood clots and pulmonary embolism, you're not going to want to take any oral estrogens because that will increase your risk. So when you take the information and you actually analyze it correctly, you see that it is so beneficial for women in their 40s and 50s beyond hormone replacement therapy if they don't have contraindications and that they feel much better. We're living much longer lives and now 50% of our lives, almost 50% of our lives is in menopause for some women. That's, so you, yeah. you really need to take care of yourself. And this generation of women is more empowered, I hate using that word, but more empowered for um, to talk about their own um, medical care and to figure out what the things that they need to do to help themselves a, stay healthy, but also feel younger. You know, we don't want to, when you think about your, your parents, 60 year old seems like it's really old to you. You know, 60 does not seem old to me because I'm only eight yeah. years away from there now. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a whole different kind of lifestyle now that we have. We know a lot more about exercise. We know a lot more about nutrition. We are better about eating organic foods and less processed foods in general. Um, so there is a lot of these symptoms that you can help if you don't want to take hormones with diet, exercise, meditation, all these other things. So we always say lifestyle changes are very, very important when patients come in with menopausal changes. And so what do you recommend people do? Like get blood work done? Like, you know, as you approach those ages, 45, 46, that's, 47? That's a really good question. So um, a lot of people out there think everyone needs to get a hormone panel whenever anything goes wrong. And the problem is that in perimenopause and menopause, you have such fluctuations in your hormones that one day you might come in and it looks like your hormones are abnormal. And another day you might come in and they're totally normal. So I actually go more with a symptom approach. So if somebody's having all of the symptoms that sound like perimenopause and they're in the right age group for it, then we don't have to actually see that the numbers are abnormal to know that you actually probably have a low estrogen state. Now, I do always check thyroid on, on women because thyroid disease is very common in women and it causes a lot of the same symptoms. You know, it causes hair loss, cold and heat intolerance, weight gain or weight um, loss, depending on whether you're hyper or hypo. So there are medical hormone, I mean, 
medical problems that can cause um, you to have some of the symptoms that seem like menopause and you might be younger. So does that answer that? So, yeah, so it's not that helpful to go get blood work and check vitamin levels and hormone levels. It's better just to look at the symptoms. The symptoms. Having yes, symptoms. and you can actually supplement that by taking some hormone levels occasionally. Just, now, say you've had a hysterectomy, for example, and you have no way to know if you're menopausal because you don't get a period ever. So for that woman, it might actually help her to see what her numbers are because she might actually say, okay, no, I am not imagining these symptoms. I really am menopausal and maybe I do want to start some sort of treatment. Um, but for women that are getting regular cycles, you're not going to get that much benefit in getting a hormone panel on them. But thyroid, you may. Right. I mean, I am always, because like it's kind of goes back to what you said about Women are taking better care of themselves. We're exercising more. We're more educated. We have more access to, it's almost like we have too much access. Like I'm just thinking of a couple friends. Like I have one friend, you know, it's usually people, they went to a naturopath mm -hmm. and they got a hormone panel done or a blood panel and they'll say <laughs> things like I'm estrogen dominant. Like, is that a thing or is that just... So the problem with a lot of these um, panels, and I'm not discounting naturopathic totally. because there is a real role for that as well. But doing a um, saliva test, 5,000 different things on every patient that comes in test does not really benefit most people. They often test your progesterone levels and then tell patients they need to be on progesterone. And there really is no need for progesterone other than to protect your uterine cavity from estrogen alone. So unopposed estrogen can cause uterine cancer. And so when we give hormone replacement therapy, we not only give estrogen, we give progesterone as well um, to protect the lining of the uterus. And it's not because the progesterone is doing anything that you really need. Your progesterone levels are going to be low as you're older because you're not ovulating. Right. So um, you, you essentially take progesterone to prevent a problem that can be caused by estrogen use. But the side effect of progesterone, which is nice, is that it causes you to feel sleepy. So if you take it at night, it actually helps with your insomnia symptoms. So it's helpful in that way. But it does cause other symptoms like bloating. A lot of women feel like their, their um, bowels change because of progesterone, et cetera. So we are now using what we call bioidentical hormones instead of the hormones that were actually studied in the WHI study. So Studies that were there were in that study, I'm sorry, the hormones that were in that study are not really used that much anymore. Most OBGYNs don't use them. So there's probably even more benefit from the ones that we're using now because we use transdermal, which is on the skin estrogen. So it doesn't go through your liver and it doesn't increase your other risks. We use something called micronized progesterone instead of this medroxy progesterone that actually increases a lot of risks for people. And that was what was seen in that study. So, um, so yeah, so we do use progesterone, but you don't need to get your progesterone level tested. And so I see a lot of people go to a naturopath and they're told, you're so estrogen dominant, your progesterone is so low, I need to put you on progesterone. And that doesn't really make sense unless you're actually treating them with, with estrogen as well and they have a uterus. So that's where we're coming into these people coming in on these very high doses of progesterone, which actually is probably not very... Um, very safe to do and they're having bloating and all kinds of other symptoms and that's why right and then i have two other friends who i think went to a similar doctor or whatever and got their little blood panel done 
And they're both on, and they're both my exact age and they're both on testosterone cream. Sure. And okay. they love it. Yeah. The ovary like, put, like a little bit on their skin. Yeah. yeah. For what? Oh, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you tell us. Well, um, the ovary also makes testosterone. Obviously, testosterone is a male hormone, but women have it as well. Um, and it is um, a hormone that helps your libido. It increases libido. That's why guys always want to have sex all the time, every minute of every day. Um, so, and so a lot of guys are even now going to their own doctors and they're getting testosterone injections because testosterone gives you this um, overall feeling of decreased fatigue, more energy, you put muscle mass on better, um, it increases your libido. So it does the same things for women as well. Of course, we use a much, much lower dose. Um, so I do use testosterone therapy in my um, practice. Um, but we talk about all the side effects that can happen. I mean, it's a male hormone. So if you use too, too much, you're going to get clitoromegaly, which means your clitoris gets very big. You're going to get hair growth where you don't want it, hair loss where you don't want it. So you get that temporal balding. That oh my God. Your voice can get deeper. So, you know, we have had, I've seen a couple of patients come in that have been abusing testosterone because somebody else is giving it to them and they're using gathering it all over their body instead of using that little click you're supposed to use. And so they'll have these kind of symptoms and then they get addicted to it almost because they like the feeling of wanting to, to, right. to be, they feel more, more sexual prowess. They feel, you know, they have more muscle mass, etc. So you, all of these things have to be taken into consideration when you treat people with hormones, you know, you have to make sure they understand what the risks of taking too much of each thing is because we're handing this to you and you can do whatever you want with it. Right. So, what we hope is that you're going to follow our direction, but sometimes people don't. So it's really important to understand the side effects. But yes, women do very well with testosterone. Not everybody, but women do well with it. If you feel like your libido's low, you feel like you're always tired, you're getting headaches all the time. Testosterone has been shown to help with all of these things. And where do they put it on? Like you just rub it on your arm? There's different ways. You can do it in injection, which is I think not the greatest choice because you have to come in every month to do it and you get a peak and then a drop. Um, there is topical um, testosterone, which you're talking about. We, we usually have it compounded at a, actually a local compounding pharmacy, Good Pharma. I'll send a shout out to Joe. He's amazing. But um, we do, um, you know, we, we get a certain amount and then we tell you how many clicks to use and you can use a click and you put it on your, your arm actually and you let it dry. And then you do it once a day or once every other day, or sometimes I'll tell people you can, if you didn't use it on your skin, use a little bit, just put it around the clitoral area on the day you're going to have, you know, before you're going to have sex. And that sometimes arouses you a little bit as well. Um, so that's nice. Um, and the other choice is to do a pellet where some women will come in and will actually put a small pellet with a, a you know, a fixed dose of testosterone in it and it goes in your buttock. And then, um, it's, we numb you. It doesn't hurt. Um, we numb you. But it goes into your buttock and then um, you come in every three months or four months, whatever you feel to um, see if that works for you. I always, you try topicals before you go to a pellet because once the pellet's in, I'm, I can't dig it out. So you want to make a big commitment. <laughs> yeah. So we make a little incision in your skin and put it in there. So I'm not talking about in your butt. Oh, I was thinking in, oh, the like in your butt cheek. I was really thinking <laughs> I was talking about the fishing for the pellet. So <laughs> oh 
So, so anyway, so we make a little incision in the fatty part of your butt and we put the pellet in and every day it releases the same amount of testosterone. So you have this kind of steady state of testosterone. So, wow. Yeah, so, so the cream sounds almost like a no brainer for women, like in their forties, like you kind of want it. Maybe. Those symptoms. If you're having those symptoms. Yeah. And, and let me tell you, not everything works for everyone, even with FDA approved medications for thyroid or whatever. We sometimes have to play around with medications to find the right combination for each person. And not everything works for everyone. Some people feel so much better on testosterone and other people feel absolutely nothing or they don't like it. So you always have to remember that. I never say anything's a no brainer because everyone's different. Everyone's body is different. Everyone, you know, I, I always check testosterone levels before I start too, to make sure that you're already not starting with a high testosterone level so that we don't put you at higher risk for anything. Um, how do you feel that stress affects the perimenopause symptoms more like, or do you think, I mean, I'm sure it does, right? Yeah, in your absolutely. opinion, can it shift your hormones or cause anxiety, depression, or other mood disorders? Yeah, I mean, stress increases cortisol levels. Um, we all kind of know that. We've all heard that. Um, and so um, definitely stress, stress-reducing activities like exercise and meditation, um, all of these things can can help you lower your stress levels and and hopefully help you kind of make the transition through menopause a little bit easier. Um, exercise is super important for a lot of reasons because it gives us time to have to be on our own to do something that we like to do and we feel stronger afterwards. We feel better. We can deal with things better. We can focus better. Um, so I absolutely do think that we do see all of these changes happen in menopause um, in in a lot of women. Yeah, I'm, I'm, when I was telling you that I got depressed a couple of weeks ago, I just happened to have an appointment with my general physician. Mm -hmm. And I told her about it. I said, you know, I've never felt like this depressed and this low ever, mm -hmm. um, but I don't want medication. And she's mm -hmm. like, well, if you don't want medication, then, you know, go talk to your therapist, mm -hmm. do all the things that calm you down. She's like, you know, you're a yoga teacher. Make sure you go to yoga, do your breathing, make sure you're working out. So those are just things you know, and eventually it did, you know, level out and I came back to life, but right. it took, you know, like really conscious effort of making sure that I was going to class, making sure I was like taking 20 minutes just to like lay there and do nothing and relax. And I just, I can't imagine like taking medication. I don't know. Yeah. I'm like really scared well, of it. Here's the thing. A lot of, of the stress that we have in our lives is situational. Um, and so a lot of the times when we get anxiety, depression, symptoms, it can be situational. It might not be, you know, this sudden onset of a decrease in our serotonin levels that needs an antidepressant, you know. So we always, whenever I have patients that come in, whether they're many, menopausal, perimenopausal, teenagers, whatever, we always talk about lifestyle changes first. Like what can you do in your life to improve the situation you're in so that you don't feel so bad? Number one, get out of your bed every morning, go out into the sunshine, take a shower, get dressed. If you want to put makeup on, put makeup on. Things to spend time with your friends, spend time alone where you're actually just trying to do relaxation methods, um, uh, methods instead of just trying to let your mind go crazy and worry about all the things that you have. That's a really hard thing for people to do. Um, and so, you know, you guys are lucky because you're in this, um, you know, in, in this yoga situation where you actually learn how to meditate, you learn how to, to understand your body better and, and feel the changes in your body a little bit earlier than the majority of people probably would. Right. Yeah, that's true.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, I've I had way more trouble. needs to be on antidepressants by all means. I think it's better to do lifestyle changes if you need to. And therapy is a huge, huge part of this. Just talking to somebody that kind of can help you come up with coping mechanisms for your anxiety or your depression so that you don't need to take medications. I mean, obviously, some people have to be on medications right. and, and that's totally fine and not taboo in any way, shape or form. I always tell my patients your brain is the most important organ in your body and you'll take a medication for your thyroid if I tell you to, or if I tell you, you know, you broke your arm, you need to take this, you're going to take it. But as soon as somebody talks about antidepressants, it becomes this taboo in their, you know, thought process. And it shouldn't be because this is a huge important organ in your body. And some people actually do have low serotonin levels. Yeah, it's like you try all those things. You try the yoga, you try the meditation, the relaxation. Spending time with friends, getting sleep, because when you don't sleep well, you, you, you know, your stress levels go up. You can't cope with normal daily activities. It's, it's difficult. So. And do you find women, cause I've in the last five years, I used to be like, I would sleep like I'm dead. Like nothing would wake me up. And that is over. Yeah. That is like the smallest yeah. movement of my you husband. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think once you have kids, everything wakes you up because you kind of get into this hyper vigilant stage when you have children that anything you hear, you're up and you can save their life, you know? So I think that's part of it. And then as we age, um, we, we develop more sleep disturbances. But there are also um, problems that we've created in the industrialized world that creates problems with sleep. And that's looking at your screen before you go to bed for an hour. I mean, I'm, I'm, I do the same thing. I waste such a lot of time going through Instagram at night before I go yeah. to bed thinking it's going to make me go to bed, but it actually doesn't. And suddenly an hour has gone by and you lost an hour of sleep. And you also, your brain is on fire and you don't sleep well. So sleep hygiene is really important as well. Um, so not being on screens for the hour before bed, you know, having a dark room. Some people like the feeling of pressure on their forehead, um, earplugs if it's loud, you know, those kind of things help with sleep as well. And menopausal women are more prone to sleep disturbance. So it's nice for people to start to work on doing that in their, you know, 30s and 40s. So they, they have a good method of getting themselves to sleep. Also, and it's like, if I just don't have a drink, I sleep. Yeah. Yeah. When alcohol is a huge thing, I mean, especially with COVID, people started drinking a lot more because it was the only fun thing people had to do, I guess, you know. And so they got used to drinking like 10 to 12 alcoholic beverages a week when they used to drink two to three. So you're gaining weight because that's all calorie, you know, that's liquid calories. Um, you know, it's a depressant. Alcohol is a depressant. It is not it's it's not something that makes your mood better. It actually is a depressant. So um, people get more down when they drink a lot of alcohol as well. Um, and your overall feeling of health healthiness, you know, gets better if you can decrease your alcohol intake, your processed food intake, and you eat. And listen, I I do both of those, so I'm not I'm not. <laughs> so yeah. But less. I just sometimes people want all these. They want to buy something to take. To sleep when there's so many things you can change in your own lifestyle to help you first. And I always think definitely that's the first step. But in in the case of menopause and hot flashes and hormonal placement, there are not that many choices in how to help with hot flashes. And when you do have hot flashes and you have them at night, 
that is going to wake you up. People wake up soaked in sweat and then they're cold afterwards. So they get these, you know, very uncomfortable feelings. Um, and hot flashes are treated best with estrogen. There are a few, um, actually, anti, uh, there are a few antidepressants that you can use for um, hot flashes as well. So for patients that have breast cancer that can't use estrogen and they're on medications like tamoxifen, which cause, you know, worsening of their hot flashes and then they go into to menopause, they at least have an option with doing, um, you know, SSRIs or antidepressants for their hot flashes. So all of these medications in combination can be very helpful for certain things and some are better for certain situations than others. Yeah. It's been lots of options. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this is also the time of life where women start to lose bone and muscle mass. When we were talking, you mentioned the muscle and I hadn't really thought about anyone bring that up, like bone you hear about, but muscle mass as well. Um, yes. In the first two years of menopause, you probably lose the most um, bone mass, but you can also lose it in the year or so before as well. And so um, supplements um, like calcium and vitamin D, and if you can get those in your diet, that's great. And you know, you need about 1200 milligrams of calcium a day, and it's always better to get it through your diet. Um, but if not, then you would want to supplement with some calcium. Um, vitamin D is really important. I mean, we get it from the sun, but we also wear a ton of sunblock and God knows what our actual, you know, the actual amount of vitamin D we really need is. But um, at the minimum, we say women should get about 800 international units of vitamin D, D3 a day. Um, so those two uh, are the main vitamins that we talk about in terms or supplements that we talk about in terms of bone loss. Um, and then obviously, um, there's a, a machine called the DEXA machine that actually measures your bone mass in, in menopause. So you can see if you're having what's called osteopenia, which is a loss of bone density, but it's not osteoporosis. And then when you get to the point of osteoporosis, you've had so much bone breakdown that you're at risk for a fracture. And um, you see that older women, they get shorter, right? Part of it is because the disc space gets, the, the, the space between your discs, um, I'm sorry, your uh, vertebrae and your back gets compressed over time because you're walking and you're, you're exercising and you're, you know, weight bearing, et cetera. So you definitely lose some height there, but people can get compression fractures also, which are fractures of the vertebrae. And then you'll see that they have that kind of hunched back kyphosis um, situation as well. So bone density is really important. Hip fractures are a leading cause of morbidity and mortality in older right. women. So you know, it is not a leading cause, but a great cause of. And so it's really important that women know what their bone density is and get treatment if they need to. Um, but weight bearing exercise is incredibly important for your bone. Um, and muscle mass is incredibly important for your bone. And as we age, we lose muscle mass. And I'm talking not menopausal, 40s, in your 40s, you're losing ma massive amounts of muscle mass. So we used to think you should be doing cardio all day and night to lose weight, but actually in our 40s and 50s, we need to put more muscle on. And so our weight, our, we need to do weight training as part of our exercise routine. Um, and so yes, cardio, you don't need to do as stressful cardio because that does make your cortisol levels go up too. But doing cardio and then doing weight training with weights is really, really important. So we love seeing you at Flowlift. I and love Flowlift. I know you're a fan. So why don't you tell us what you like about Flowlift for yourself and would you recommend it to your patients? Okay. 
So I love Lowlift because I love your studio, number one. It's great. Um, you go there and you always bump into somebody that you know, which is really nice. And it seems like you're working out with a whole bunch of friends, even if you don't know what their name is. You know them from Lowlift. <laughs> um, really? It's actually one of the harder um, exercises that I do. Like I do F45 um, when I can. I've kind of changed over to Flowlift since now. I've only been coming in once a week because of my schedule. But um I definitely feel really in it. When you're in it, you are sweating, you are using muscles you don't even know that you have, and you start to feel so much stronger. And that's what I really like, is I actually feel like my balance has improved greatly. And that's a very important thing And as we age, because when you fall, you could potentially fracture vertebral body, etc. So as women age balances, it becomes an even more important part of their exercise routine. So you do so you guys cover um, weight training, and you cover um, balance and you cover relaxation, the end of it, we kind of all take a few minutes and relax together. Um, so I think overall, it's one of the better exercises that I do. And I, I think it's fantastic. I love it. Don't you think it covers cardio too? Oh, I'm a hundred percent. I forgot to say cardio. Absolutely. You are sweating in that class. <laughs> yeah, I guess the sweating is the, yeah. And your heart is pumping out of your chest. Absolutely. So that's cardio. Yeah. And then it's lovely when you see an Instagram video of yourself and you're like, oh my God, thank God I was far away from the camera. <laughs> in the background, you better watch out. It's actually my favorite workout right now. I have to say, definitely. Yay. Uh, and then what do you say? Because I do feel like even women our age, I mean, actually, you know, like 40s and 50s, I feel like I have some friends who are like, that's too hard, which I understand, but I still am like, come and just go a little slower. Yeah. And this idea of like needing to slow down or thinking that you need to slow down. But like going back to what you said, I mean, that we might just be at the halfway point. Like you've got many, many more years to live. Like, why do you want to slow down now? I mean, look at us compared to our parents at this age. We are so much more fit. Um, we push ourselves much more than our parents did in terms of our physical activity. Um, and I think that's why we're healthier and why we have, you know, we look younger, we act younger, we feel younger. Um, the thing about Flowlift is it is a little bit intimidating, you know, when you first come in because there's some people that go there every day and they know all the exercises and the routines are difficult, especially if you've never been, you know, in, in some sort of sport where you did routines or anything like that. Um, so it's hard to pick up sometimes, but nobody is there making fun of you. Nobody's looking at what you're doing because everyone's just trying to survive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, but the other thing is you don't have to put weights on. You don't have to use weights. You know, some people use 10 pound weights. Other people use three pound weights and some people don't put weights at all, you know? Um, so that's a nice thing. And you don't have to do 50 of them when you guys are doing 50, you can do 30 of them or whatever, you know? Totally. So, you definitely can take it slower and do your own thing. You learn the exercise and then you do, I mean, you guys usually do, I don't know, 10 or 12 of each repetitions of each thing. Maybe, maybe it takes you longer and you do five or six, but you're still getting the same type of workout, you know? So you're still strengthening those same muscles. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's great. I, I don't think there's many other workout sessions out there that you can get so much whole body exercise. So 
all in one. Yeah. yeah. I always use my mom as an example, you know, cause she's 67. Mm-hmm. She does flow lift and she'll come to class and she, you know, she won't do, she love yeah. that. and she won't do all the reps. She goes slower and she uses less weight. And she's like, I just want to stay strong. Like I don't want to get old. I don't want to be, you know, right. losing mobility, falling and breaking a hip. Like, Absolutely. You know? And, and I, the other thing I really have noticed is my balance is much, much better. And that's a really, that's a really important thing. So I imagine if you could actually go there, you know, three or four days a week, it would be incredible. So you can do it online right there in your office. You know, right. <laughs> now I have my ring light too. I <laughs> Totally. Yes. Um, and one other thing you mentioned about the calcium with supplements, I always wonder like which, I mean, I know, like you said, it's always better to get it from food or whatever, but what calcium do you recommend? Like what supplement? Um, there's not necessarily a brand that I recommend. Um, so, you know, the, when you go and you, you look at, you say you go to sprouts or something and there's 1000 things out there. I usually would have picked the one that says calcium with vitamin D. Oh, oh, I didn't know you could get them together. And then um, the other thing is like people who have restless legs, um, sometimes that's from vitamin B6 deficiency or from magnesium deficiency. So magnesium actually is a nice supplement that helps with sleep. It's also a mild laxative. So if you're constipated, it helps with that. It helps to prevent headaches like migraines, which a lot of, of menopausal women also have. So there's also calcium, magnesium, and vitamin D that you can take as well. So you just want to see that you, at least in your diet, get about 1,200 milligrams of calcium a day. And if you don't do any dairy, you're probably going to need to have a supplement because there's that's the, the major source of calcium for most people. Um, and all of the you know milk, et cetera, and, and a lot of people stop drinking those things as they get older, but they are supplemented now with vitamin D. You'll see that on the labels. So they make sure that everything is supplemented. And even like almond milk is now supplemented with um, uh, calcium or vitamin D. You can find the supplemented ones too, if you want to do something like that. So, you know, it's interesting, the vitamin D, like I had the shingles last year. And I did this whole protocol of like all these supplements that you take just to kind of get rid of it faster. And one of the things that you were supposed to do is go in the sun for like 20 minutes, twice a day. Mm -hmm. And I got so addicted to it. Like I'm just, it felt so good just to like lay there and soak in the sun, you know, like, I don't know. Sunblock, but yes, on my face, not on my body, but on my face. No, I agree. I mean, we're lucky we live in San Diego and we have, you know, access to sunny days most of the year. Maybe not this year, was it not as good as usual? But yeah, sun and and sun is important in mood as well, you know. So if you look and you see people in that live in in cities and states where they have a huge amount of cloudy days and, and rain, there's a higher depression rate there. Yeah. So sunlight's really important. I always told my postpartum patients, you know, after they had their baby, you need to get out into the sun every single day for at least half an hour because it helps with mood. It also helps you to get yourself mobilized and do something different every day. And I think that for everyone, I think yeah. it's really important. So. Okay. A lot of things are free. Yeah. That you can yeah. Go it's free and it's beautiful and nature makes you feel good. So yeah. Well, thank you so much, Vale. Yeah. Thank you for taking time yeah. out of your day. We know you're busy. And, you know, if anything else comes up, I'm always around. <laughs> 
seeing seeing you at Flow Lift. <laughs> but that was great. You, that was such good information, and I think women really like need it and appreciate it. And like you said, Carolina, like people don't talk about this stuff enough. So thank you for opening everybody's eyes and ears to these important things. Hope it helped. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Bye, guys. Have a Bye. good night. Well, that was really great. Very informative. I feel like I learned so much. Um, stay tuned for the next one. We're going to be talking about why we signed up for a yoga teacher training many, many years ago. And we're going to interview two students who have taken a teacher training. We're going to ask them why they did it, what they thought about it. Um, our next teacher training is coming up in January and we've changed the format. So it's more accessible for people. We meet one partial weekend a month from January to November. And as always, if you want to come do class with us in La Jolla, we're at Booty Yoga on Girard, right up above Lululemon. Or if you want to do class with us online, you can do our Flowlift class at flowliftfitness.com and our yoga classes, both live, which actually the Flowlift is live on um, our other website too. It's called yourbooty.com. And pretty soon we'll have it all on one website. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, we'll see you in person online. And thank you for listening. And we will hope you listen again. Bye. Bye.